May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. So we're continuing the Lenten sermon series on the the Lord's Prayer today. And just as a reminder of where we've been as we started last week, we, we started off, of course, with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we understood that we have different names for God, not just Father, but when we say our, we're talking about God being the Father and God of all of us, not just me. Then we took on the idea of who art in heaven. And we know that heaven isn't necessarily a physical place, but heaven is a place when and where God's will is done, a place and time when the people of God are reminded of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And heaven is also God being all around, as close even as the air that we breathe. And then we got to that phrase, hallowed be thy name, and we talked about the God asking, asking God to hallow God's name. And that seemed kind of strange, but that's what we're really doing in that prayer. We're asking God to hallow God's name through me, through all that we say, through all that we do, that people would know God's glory. So we move on to the next part of the, the prayer this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I begin, I want to tell a story that Adam Hamilton shares in the book. He's talking about a, two politicians who were running for the same office and they were having a debate against each other. And the discussion went back and forth and somehow the subject of religion came up and one candidate said to the other, In front of everyone, I'll bet you $20 you don't even know the words to the Lord's Prayer. The other candidate said, you know what, I'll take that bet. I do know the words to the Lord's Prayer. The challenger pulled out a $20 bill out of his billfold and he held it out. He said, great, tell everyone here what they are. Politician said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And as he finished, the other politician looked absolutely stunned. He walked over took that $20 bill and handed it to him and said, I can't believe you actually knew it. I think the, it's an old joke, but I think it points to the idea that we struggle sometimes with our prayers. It's not simply that we forget the words sometimes of the Lord's Prayer, but that maybe we're not fully understanding the meaning of the words, so much so that we can remember all of it. This line of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is probably according to some, one of the most important lines in the prayer. According to Father Daniel Harrington, who's a Jesuit scholar, he says, in that particular petition, we find the central concern of the entire prayer, the central concern that Jesus had throughout his ministry, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, all are focused on announcing that kingdom, inviting people to be a part of it. Encouraging them to not only pray, but to to live in such a way that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. So I remember last week we talked about heaven and that God being in heaven and that it's not really a, a physical place, that God is everywhere. And I mentioned the idea of the the I, me, and mine, the the personal. It's just about me. So when we say the idea of thy will be done, it's It's God's, right? Not ours. It's God's, not mine. And I said when we pray, we 
fix our hearts on what we pray. And, but in praying this part of that prayer, we're making intentional the choice to pray for thy kingdom, not ours. Thy kingdom come is really the essence of what it means to call Jesus Lord. When we say Lord, we're signifying Jesus is the authority over our lives. In other words, God is God and I'm not. To put it another way, there should be more of God and less of me. And as we pray this prayer, we continue to learn through it. And I think it helps us believe and and have hope that what's in this prayer is the antidote for what ails what's going on here and around the world. We're praying for this kingdom. Kingdom come, thy God's will will be done. The focus of Jesus' preaching and teaching was what he called the kingdom of God, specifically in Matthew again, it's kingdom of heaven. And Jesus mentions that kingdom more than 100 times in Matthew. We can't fully understand what Jesus meant or what he was trying to teach or what he stood for and came in the flesh for without understanding that kingdom of heaven. And to do that, we need to remember that the words we use, again, are metaphors. We do our best with our human language to describe God, and that's sometimes indescribable. Jesus speaks of this kingdom using these metaphors about God to to help people. He uses stories, analogies to describe not only God, but God's will. Part of the challenge with Jesus' words about the kingdom is that Most of us don't live in a kingdom. We have to work our brain matter a little bit to understand what he's talking about. It's helpful to remember when we consider this idea of kingdom that scripture says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So God is the rightful authority over all of it. The universe itself is God's kingdom. And that's why we continue to come back to our our Jewish brothers and sisters and the words that they use as they pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, kingdom of the universe. King God is God of everything, not just some things. Well, why then, if that's the case, do we need to pray for God's kingdom to come when it might already be here, right? This is God's kingdom. Why do we have to pray for it to come? It's already here. Well, since Genesis chapter 1, God has been here. God gives humans the authority to rule over the planet on God's behalf and so forth. Yet much of the rest of the Bible and our human history through today is the story of the many ways that we as humans mess things up really bad. Whether it's Adam and Eve, whether it's Cain and Abel and, and all the violence, God is grieving each and every piece of that. These stories are not told in scripture to recount our troubled history, but to teach us about ourselves. We know that can be the fact that we might be a violent race sometimes. We know that there are people who are starving, malnourished, obese. We know that there's racism that continues to impact the world. And that's just the world around us. I haven't even talked about our our own personal demons. Yet beneath all of that, we're trying our best to to put someone else on the throne of our life. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for God and his will to be done. But why do we pray for that? 
Because despite the fact that God is the Lord of the universe, we humans continue to follow Adam and Eve. We continue to be drawn into times to to act in ways that are not in keeping with God's will. The Apostle Paul captured it best, I think, in Romans, that very confusing scripture. The desire to do good is inside of me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil I don't want to do. That's the struggle. And the struggle is real. And that's why this prayer is so important. Even with our struggling, the prayer trains us in our hearts and in our minds to strive to continue to live thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus began his public ministry, this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven coming from the words of Matthew, Jesus says, come near. I like to call that coming near of the kingdom as inbreakings of the kingdom. Those particular moments when we see God face to face, when we, we know God is with us, when we experience the kingdom of heaven right there in front of us. It's, it's God's invisible realm. And then that will is done and it breaks through and we see it. We see it and we hear it throughout Jesus' preaching in his ministry. He did it when he healed the sick. We see it when he forgave sinners, fed the hungry, raised the dead, and in doing all of these things, Jesus gave us that glimpse of heaven. You've likely heard that all Christians are often fixated on getting people to heaven. But Jesus was focused on something completely different. He was focused on unleashing heaven here on earth. The kingdom of heaven has come near in Jesus and in the lives of all who follow him. The heavenly realm is breaking into the earthly realm. I think it might be helpful to stop here just for a moment and talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. That kingdom of heaven phrase comes from Matthew, whereas Mark and Luke, as I mentioned, use the kingdom of God. And for years it was taught that Matthew did this because of who he was writing to. It was a, a Jewish audience who revered God's name. Matthew chose to substitute the word heaven for the word God. One New Testament scholar says that's probably not the case because the word that Matthew actually used, theos, for God, he used 51 times. So even after changing the phrase from kingdom of God to kingdom of heaven, What he's really trying to do in Matthew when he's writing is compare and contrast the the two realms, the heavenly and the earthly. The one stands for God and the other, humanity. So we get back to that idea of the heavenly realm breaking into the earthly realm. And when we say we repent, we have a change of mind which leads to a change of heart and a change of behavior when we're praying this prayer. Thy will, not my will be done. When we say that, we yield ourselves to God in such a way that we seek to live as citizens of that kingdom. A kingdom which, in fact, does come here on earth. Every person who chooses to yield his or her life to God chooses to follow Jesus and then begins to live in that kingdom of heaven. Even as each of us makes the choice 
to live in that kingdom, we're still here in the earthly one. I often liken this to a way of living as having a foot in two places, if you will, like straddling a fence. But when we're talking about our faith and life, we have one foot in the heavenly realm and the other one in the earthly realm. When I was taught in our preaching classes, they said, you know what you need to do each morning is hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Why? Because our lives are lived out in these two realms. We're called to take God's word and apply it to all that we live in and live through in the earthly realm. We hear what that kingdom of heaven is like and we live as we're being called to bring heaven into not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. Each time we pray the Lord's Prayer with any kind of meaning and understanding, we're giving up our lives. We're, we're sacrificing to the will of God, even in a small way, so that kingdom of God can come here on earth so that we can fix our hearts and minds on God's will and not ours and invite God to use me, yes, even me. Lord, let me be an instrument to fulfill the prayer that Jesus taught is what we're, we're really praying. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's what we're saying when we come to this part of the prayer. You know, the prophets imagine what it would be like when God's kingdom did finally come on earth as it is in heaven. And we hear those words from Isaiah today. Or even if you went to Revelation 21, we hear, I see a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Now we've talked about these kinds of scriptures as end time scriptures, but in Isaiah and here in Revelation, we see an end of violence, an end of suffering, an end of pain. No more tears. We see the world not as it is, but as it might be and was meant to be. With Christ ruling forever and always. Jesus invites us to pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but the prayer is not the end of the world history as we know it. But rather, we're praying that we might get a taste of everything here and now as it is in heaven. If we look around, we can see evidence that the kingdom has come and God's will is being done. We are called to help the people of the world look for that in every moment of their lives. In my first appointment, I served a church in what was then the Northern New Jersey Conference. It was a church called Congers United Methodist Church in Rockland County, New York. It was about 30 minutes from the Tappan Zee Bridge. A member of the church had died suddenly, unexpectedly. She was a nurse at one of the New York City hospitals. She and her family came from Ghana to live here and have a better life. Her husband was a doctor. As you can imagine, it was a very difficult time for her family and for the church. The church was small, pretty typical of the era in which it was born. It's actually about half the size of this. Sanctuary was very small. It had a small balcony going around. So between the balcony and the main sanctuary, it could probably fit about 60 people. 
And as we were talking and planning Beatrice's service, I asked the family, how many people do you think will come? Probably a question I should have asked really early on. They said from, well, the people that she worked with in the hospital, people from the community. And of course, we've got people flying in from all over Ghana. Hearing that, and I knew the church leadership and I had a lot of work ahead of us. And so we needed to plan this like we hadn't planned any other service for anybody else. We were figuring probably at least 100 people or more, which would probably double the size of the people attending in the church for that service. So we created a small overflow space in an area just off the sanctuary. And of course, at that time, video wasn't being used, so we had a speaker and probably about another 40 or 50 chairs set up in this very small fellowship hall. It was an understatement to say that the church was packed that day. I had asked the UMW, a group of about seven or eight women, to plan a, a light lunch and to be radic radically hospitable to all the people that would be coming, especially since we expected so many people. This church was small, but at a time, it had a building fund, and they were able to build what I would call an educational building with more rooms downstairs, and you went upstairs and had a huge fellowship hall. You could actually, it was so big in there, you could play basketball. But it also had a beautiful modern kitchen. After the service, all the people were invited to go next door to join in the meal in honor of Beatrice. And as was usual, I was the last one to leave the church and headed over to the educational building. I was coming up the steps. One of the oldest women in the church, the oldest member of UMW, met me at the top of the stairs, just shouting at me, Pastor Craig, Pastor Craig, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I said, Margaret, what's the matter? She said, you have to come and see. I, I can't explain it. You have to come and see. Well, of course, at that moment, you've got a lot of things going through your head that something's wrong, something's terribly wrong. And as she opened the door to that large room, she said to me, look, manna from heaven. I didn't understand what she meant until not only did I walk into the fellowship hall, but also into the kitchen. Tray upon tray upon tray upon tray of an abundance of food alongside of what the UMW prepared. Trays of food brought by every one of the families and the people that attended that service for Beatrice. They brought all kinds of dishes, mostly native to Ghana, but they brought everything. Something to drink, something to eat, dessert. There was more food than there was people. And it reminded me of the phrase of having enough food to feed an army. But this was even bigger than that. You want to talk about inbreakings of God's kingdom? It was right there. It was right there in front of us. By practicing radical hospitality for this family and those who cared about the family, this church and all the people saw an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. When we were planning the service and food afterwards, I got a great deal, or beforehand, I got a great deal of pushback as we were planning the service and the meal. And I kept hearing the seven deadly words of the church. We've never done it that way before. I said, well, let's try. If it fails, you have my permission to say, I told you so. They went ahead and planned it, and that day, 
the kingdom of heaven came to that family. When we pray and we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will be done, we long for it. We hope for it. We offer ourselves to God that God might use us for that purpose. And we recognize that the kingdom of God will always be something that's already here and yet not fully here. It's here with us, but it's still to come. It's something we work to to help God usher in, something that can't be fully realized until Christ ushers it in in those last days. Author and United Methodist Bishop Will Willimon notes that there's a turning point in the prayer when we say, on earth as it is in heaven. He says, quite surprisingly, politics has crept into our praying at this point. We are to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done into our individual hearts and lives. He says, Jesus teaches us to pray for God's kingdom, that God's will will be done here on earth. But sometimes when we pray this prayer, we ask God for our plan. Our plan, instead of what God intended it to be. That's our personal vision. That's the vision we want. But when we pray, we're inviting God to give us a vision for the world as it should be. And then to not only pray for it, but to get to work. To help that vision become a reality. The role of leaders is to help people close the gap between the world as it is and the world as God would like it to be. And that's what we're praying for. As we do God's will, as we live this prayer, as we try to close the gap between the earthly realm and the the heavenly realm. For those of you who are leaders in the church, and even if you're not, that's our role. It isn't about keeping things pristine. It's about taking what we have and living out that prayer and letting God use us. The Lord's Prayer calls us to examine the world around us and ask Where does the world as it is not aligned with the world God wants? What would our world look like if God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven? How would it affect every public policy decision, every social issue, every place where humans are suffering? Are they affected by our praying and living out the Lord's Prayer? So much of what we see in the news and on social media drives us to our knees. And oftentimes we use our prayers as a way of making this right, saying, Lord, please, how long, O oh Lord? What version of right is ours and what version is God's? When we're done praying our prayers on our knees, folks, we need to be driven back up onto our feet to go out into the world again and to do God's will and work to be the answer to the prayers, to be the answer to someone's prayers, that they might see the inbreaking of the kingdom. We need to drive ourselves from our knees to our feet and do it every day after our prayers. We might be tired of what's going on. If we're tired of what's going on, get on your knees and pray, and after that, get up and work for the kingdom. I don't know any other way to do it. To drive ourselves to our knees and then drive ourselves to work. Prayer and work are integral to our lives of faith. 
As we come to our time of prayer later on, I would encourage you, again, to hear those words that you say when we say the Lord's Prayer and remind yourself, I'm not only praying, but then I have to go to work. What is it God is calling you to do to bring the kingdom a little bit closer for the people around you? Amen. As we come together as God's children, we are reminded what it is we believe.